Hello everybody, welcome to the Basu and Gale Notebook, February 12th. Arpin, well, how was your uh, how was your Super Bowl? Super Bowl, a little disappointing. I mean, it, it kind of, anyhow. <laughs> I'm a little sad. It's not even, you know, everyone losing them. I, I kind of like the Taylor Swift aspect of it. I, I enjoy that. It's, yeah. it's Patrick Mahomes that I don't know why. That guy bothers me. <laughs> and I don't okay. like, and I knew, you know, when the Niners left that much time on the clock at the end of regulation, I thought the Chiefs were going to win in regulation, but I knew that Mahomes was, gonna, was not going to let the game end with a Chiefs loss at that point. And so, right. sure, sure enough, they left him too much time. All they knew was one more first down, and Niners would have won the game. But good for you, Patrick Mahomes. Good. I, 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 he's everyone's kind of starting to compare him to Brady, and and he's becoming that to me in the sense that. Uh, I found Brady incredibly annoying because of how good he was. And now I'm finding Patrick Mahomes incredibly annoying because of how good he is. But yeah, but they're, for they're, you, Chiefs fans. They're they're both part of the Montreal Expos brethren Universe. legacy in their yes. own way. Right? Yeah. So. Yeah, they are. That's true. That's All right. Good. Uh Super Bowl weekend means afternoon games for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh mm -hmm. we saw One very, very deflating loss. One that was a bit more disputed the day before. But uh, all in all, it was a tough weekend for the Canadians. Uh, but uh, let's start Let's start with Jake Allen. Uh, gave sure. up seven goals against his former team, the St. Louis Blues. Uh, you wrote in your notebook that uh, he should have stopped four, if not five, of those goals. And I agree Probably. with you. I think it was one of his – it was his worst performance of the season. Um, it might and, have been his worst in a Canadian's uniform, really. Think yeah, about but there's been there's been a couple last year too that were not exactly great. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that it becomes we're reaching a point where it's a bit uh, chicken or the egg, where he's 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 not playing well, but he has not played a lot. Uh, yeah. Not only there's three goalies, but now you can tell that they're. They're turning to Sam Montembeau more than they did in the first half of the season. So basically, the backup job is 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 Allen's, but technically, mm -hmm. it's it's split between Allen and Primo. Um, so the fact that he's not playing a ton is certainly not helping his performance. But I I can't help but look at you know for all the discussion that there's been throughout the season about you know. The Canadians trying to move him or looking to maximize the market on him. It's not just one game, but I think that the the the, the point that we've reached with Jake Allen now, there must not be much of a market for him anymore. And I don't know yeah. if it's real. I don't know if it's true that there there was that can't can't use really was had his idea set on a certain price or a certain return for his services. But if there was, he's going to have a hard time getting it now. I, I'm not so sure about that. I think there's a certain price that Kent Hughes wants if he's asked to retain salary on Jake mm -hmm. Allen, um, which at this point seems like the only way Jake Allen would get traded. Um, I think if there's no salary retention, that the price on Jake Allen would be 
would be pretty minimal, honestly. Like it's it's not it's not as if listen. I mean, look, it's how many goalies have been traded this year? None. None. You know, and and there's been a need all year. Um, teams look at I think teams look at probably Tampa's situation at the beginning of the season. We've talked about this already, but it's, it bears mentioning that when teams look at their goaltending, you see how Tampa handled the loss of Vasilevsky. They held firm, stood pat, waited it out, got adequate goaltending over that period. Um, not the reason why they find themselves where they are is, is it wasn't the fact that it wasn't their goaltending over the first couple of months of the season. You look at what Edmonton was in a crisis situation. The goaltending was a disaster. They didn't address it externally. They righted the ship. Stuart Skinner is one of the best goalies in the league right now. So it's, you know, Toronto with the Samsonov thing, they didn't do anything external. They were in a crisis. They're, you know, they're Samsonov even is is playing okay now. And and so it's, it's. Kachetkov in Carolina is another situation. Exactly. So it's, it's hard to have any leverage when you have a potential goaltending solution available. And right now, like, I don't think, I don't think that one game is going to really impact Jake Allen's trade value. I think most teams know what he is. I mean, the the thing about that game is that Jake Allen, the value of Jake Allen is that he's, he's going to make the saves that he's supposed to make. You know, he's not going to win you games necessarily, but he's not going to lose you games either. Mm-hmm. That's his intrinsic value. That game, obviously, it wouldn't be fair to say he lost it. Well, you know what? I think it would be fair to say he lost it. I mean, he needed to make – you know, they always scored two goals. So it's not as if the Canadians would have won had Jake Allen been better, but, and, and, but he didn't make the saves he was supposed to make. You know, there's the, the Pareko goal, the Walker goal. Uh, you know, there's a couple, I don't know, after the game when Marty, I asked Marte St. Louis about their net front coverage and he's, and I, and I referenced a goal in that game. It wound up being the Jordan Kyrie goal and the, on the power play, but when he asked yeah. me live, I couldn't think of one. And in the back of my mind, I was gonna, I was gonna say, "Well, Marty, there's so many, I kind of lost track." And I decided, "Yeah, not well, to. you almost said that. <laughs> I almost did. I, yeah. I suggested it because in the heat of the moment, there's you know, there's seven goals. I'm trying to go through them. Like, which one was it again? Yeah. So, but you know, I think that's you look at you look at the Cairo goal was on the power play. To be fair, but still you know, unchecked in front of the net. And, 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 you know, you noticed at one point during the game where they had three power play players below the four penalty killers, uh, yeah. a good adjustment against the diamond, you know, and, uh, but then the two Tyler Sagan goals on Saturday were also cases of him being left by himself in a scoring position um, to finish a goal. So um, all that being said, Jake Allen didn't stop the shots. He's supposed to stop. Um, he still has a positive goal saved above expected number, barely now, because I think it went down by about three in that game. Um, when your season total is plus four something and you drop three in one game, it means you had a pretty bad game. Yeah. But but yeah, as far as the trademark is concerned, like I, I again I think this is a this is sort of a narrative that's been built about about Ken Hughes sticking to a price on him. And the detail to it, the nuance to it is that I think he'd be sticking, he's sticking, he'd probably be sticking to a price on retention. Right. Not necessarily on Allen himself. So 
if a team out there wanted Jake Allen for for no retention, I, I would imagine like a sixth round pick would probably get it done. I don't think it would take a whole lot for them to move him um, with no retention because it would just it would just free up a lot of things. Yeah, there's a. Uh... But you get you you got to wonder though if he's and we touched uh, we touched on that topic last week. But uh, when we discussed David Savard, but is 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 Allen the best guy now to retain money on? Because even if you retain money on on his salary for next year, what sort of return are you going to get? Because yes, it's only one game, but you, you know, ever since he got chased out of the game against Tampa in November. He, he hasn't looked right, and there's been very few games where he, you know, he, he would st usually he starts off slowly. He gives up an early goal, puts his puts his team in a bad position, and then as the game progresses, he gets better and better. And by the third period, say, oh, now he's making the, the saves that he can to keep his team in the in the game. That's been yeah. we've seen that often, but he puts them in a bad spot to begin with, and. Uh, You know, yesterday, two game, two goals in the first six minutes. But then he did not write in the ship. He did not. He didn't look any better until the end. So I'm just, you know, I I I, I dug some stats and since because because he's the thing is he's not the only market the the only goalie on the market either. There yeah. are, the the demand for goalies is going down, but yeah. the offer remains the same and the offer. Is Marc Andre Fleury, uh, it's Elvis Merzlikins, it's Capo mm -hmm. uh, Kakonen, it could be John Gibson, it could be Jacob Markstrom. There's a lot of goalies out there. So, and right they're now all, they're all expensive, with the exception, with the exception of Kakonen. That's right. Well, Fleury, they're all a big ticket. Yeah, but Fleury's a Fleury's a UFA, so it's uh, it's not too bad. Yeah, uh, but Fleury's Alan, numbers Alan's, are worse than Allen's. I'm sorry. Fleury's numbers are, are are significantly worse than even Allen's. I mean, no, just no, no, as far as expected goal numbers, yeah, I think it's yeah. Well, the, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think his well, since December. Uh, look, I'll just go. It's it, it might be an old fashioned stat, but I'll look at save percentage since December first. Fleury is nine fifteen, mm -hmm. and Allen's eight eighty six. So I I doubt I doubt that the expected goals would cover that gap in the other way. Well, know. for the season, he's Fleury's a minus 3.01 goal yeah, save. Yeah, because he was terrible expected. to start the season. Right. He had a very, very bad start to the year. Uh, but when Gustafson was bad at some point, Fleury picked it up, and he's been he's been oh. playing very good hockey for a while now. Whereas Allen, it's, it's again... It, the the, the trick... I mean, the tricky thing with Allen is his 17 no trade clause, but Fleury has a full no move. And so basically he would have to go to a situation that he agreed to, mm -hmm. which softens the market for him as well. I mean, there's probably only going to be a handful of teams that he would agree to a trade with. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really <laughs> all those goalies that you meant, most of those goalies, Markstrom, Gibson, um, Merzlikens, you know, this is – This is taking on a big contract and would would require a more traditional kind of trade with, yeah. involving several pieces and a lot of money changing hands. And uh, yes, Allen has that second year, and 
that might scare people off because you know i mean you're right if you look if you're looking recently the same percentage numbers that you quoted i mean you look at since december 30th that was his what two four that was his sixth start since december 30th and he's given up at least three goals in all six of them mm-hmm. and in one of them he gave up five and obviously on sunday he gave up seven so um and really all season Alan has started four games where he's given up less than three goals out of all his starts. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think anyone's pretending that Jake Allen is, is your turnkey solution to your goaltending problem, but what he's supposed to be and what, what, what Ken Hughes could potentially sell him as is, you know, he won't solve all your problems, but he won't be a problem. No, no. He, he, I know. he'll go like, out there and he'll play. And and he can't have any more games like the one he had on Sunday if they have any hopes of trading him. But obviously, Allen doesn't want to be traded, so maybe he should keep no. playing like that because that, that would prevent it for sure. Yeah, yeah but he's got, he's got, at the minimum, he has to show that he's better than the in-house alternatives, the in-house options for those teams that are in need of, uh, of goalies. You know, we talked mm-hmm. a lot about New Jersey earlier in the year. Even Vitek Vanacek right now is playing better than Allen. You know, there's yeah. one place where he could be traded without retention and the Canadians could potentially get something out of it, like an asset, and it's Philadelphia. Because Philly, because mm. yeah. Philly, I mean, Carter Hart, I don't think that he's coming back in that. <laughs> no, next, he's not going to be the next back little for- while. Right. No, so, so now the, the backup is Cal Peterson, who's making mm. $5 million a year, and he's got one more year to his contract. The Canadians and, and the Flyers, even though I think that they're both sellers and buyers, because they, you would think that they're sellers, but because of their position in the standings, they could try to make a, a run at it and, and, you know, stay afloat. Because right now, as of today, they're still in diff- very much in the playoff picture. Um, so they, they, you could trade Peterson for Allen. It would improve the Flyers and the Canadians. If they're, they're willing to overpay for a backup goalie, an experienced backup goalie in Laval, Mm -hmm. you could probably get an asset for that. And then, you you know, the only victim in all that is Casimir Casquisro in Laval. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah, you could probably get a pretty decent asset actually if you took that Peterson contract off the Flyers' hands. It's a good point, yeah. and um, yeah, that. But I think the second year on that deal, much like the second year on Allen's deal right now, you know, I mean, I, there was a time when that second year on Allen's deal was seen as p- perhaps a good thing, like a reasonable price for a, a serviceable goaltender. Um, Maybe not so much anymore, but the second year on that Peterson deal would, would be a commitment from the Canadians um, that they might not be willing to make. Listen, they, I don't I don't think money's an object in Montreal. I think it is in Laval. I think the Canadians have a pretty hard budget on what they spend on on their team in Laval. Yeah, um, and they're not willing to. I mean, I don't think they would see this as that. I think they would see this as spending money to acquire a draft pick, which they've done. They've, they're doing it with Jeff Petrie as we speak. Um, and in that sense, they would probably say yes, because that's, that's spending on Montreal and, and this would just be kind of a residual effect. But I was, I was pretty stunned when I kind of learned that, 
you know, Alex Belzil priced himself out of Laval. Yeah. <laughs> it was, that was a money issue. Yeah. Uh, and he got himself a good deal. You know, he got the second year. That deal is one way with the Rangers. He got, I think is, I think he has a $500,000 max, if I'm not mistaken, this year or minimum rather. Um, something like that. It's a really high AGL, AHL salary. So Kane's basically got outbid on Alex Belzil. So there is there is not limitless resources in Laval, um, but yeah, I think that's I think that scenario is something that the Canes would probably entertain. That's that's pretty good. And and we shouldn't forget, you know, Allen from the start of the season has been really kind of leery about this three goalie situation. Like it's he used to he mentioned it nonstop without even being asked about it. Yes. Uh, you could see it was bothering him, and it was uh, it was not normal for him, and it kind of messed with his routine. Um, the other guy in that situation, Caden Primo, you know, you go back to the start of the year, I look, you know, when he got his second start of the season was on November 9th in Detroit. So that's one game played, um, and his first start came against what everyone believed to be kind of a powerhouse emerging you know, emerging horse in the Eastern Conference, New Jersey, on October 24th, with, on the back end of a back-to-back where <clears throat> Allen got to start in Buffalo. Primo didn't even go to Buffalo, stayed home, yeah. played against New Jersey, first start of the year, um, and, and had a number of, like, kind of just curious decisions. Like, he got, you know, he got Vegas, um, starting against Florida. Like, he got some tough, Assignments, assignments, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, in Carolina, coming out of Christmas. Um, so I was talking to him after practice on Thursday, just kind of a quick chat. And I remember having a similar chat with him at the beginning of the season, asking how things are going. And, you know, if Allen wasn't happy with the three goalie situation, I mean, Primo's not quite, doesn't have quite the same stature where he can really voice his displeasure because ultimately he's in the NHL, he's making an NHL paycheck. And, What's 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 not to like about that? But it's it's tough not playing like he doesn't love the situation he's in right now, you know. And so, um, but the one thing that he did say that I kind of I shouldn't say I was surprised, but it was it was interesting to hear was you know I kind of said well it'd be nice if if the waiver rules were different and they could send you to Laval and you could play there, and he like immediately was like I don't have anything else to prove in Laval. Yeah, I was, I was like, I, he was like, I, just, I don't think, I think I'm better off doing this, getting a practice reps, NHL practice reps against NHL shooters and NHL players, and getting NHL coaching, than anything I can do by playing a ton of games in Laval. So, that's yeah, but it, 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 it's it, it, it's fair because he's shown that he's NHL caliber this year, and that's yeah. and that's pretty amazing considering how scattered his starts have been that despite mm -hmm. a very very limited ice time he showed that he he has to he, he's ma he's managed to take a step forward and you know reach nhl level quality goaltending and so it, because honestly the, the odds were stacked against him when you you know you would tell me well he would have like uh, just a handful of games throughout the season And he'd be only practicing, practicing, and, and whatnot. With so so little action, what were the chances that when he'd be put in in that, he would make that leap forward 
the way that he did. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and yet it worked. So the Canadian situation in, in goal could be much worse following that decision of three goalie system. Um, had it not been for the fact that he himself improved a great deal. And that's kudos to, to Eric Raymond. I think that he's done a great job in, in helping him improve. So uh-huh. because he's got that success in limited action, but because he's, he's not that uncertain goalie anymore every time that he's facing NHL shots, I understand that he says, well, I don't have anything to prove in Laval because he's, he's up to the level now. Yeah, so, well, he has... You know, I mentioned earlier that Allen has only had four starts where he allowed fewer than three goals. Mm. Uh, Primo's had five. <laughs> five starts of two or fewer goals. Well, actually, all he allowed two in all five of them. So, yeah. I mean, so... That's very good. Know, and today's it's not a very, it's not a very sophisticated metric. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's not a very advanced metric, but just from a basic quality start perspective... Uh, yeah. That's those are he has he has more than Allen this year. So I don't know. I don't know how much the Heat's gonna. I don't know what ability the Canadians have of trading Jake Allen. I do think he will be traded based on a body of work that's far larger than just this season. Um, there's got to be a lot of teams out there that look at, you know, sort of the quality chances he faces. Yeah, and tell them and convince themselves well under our system or behind our defense or behind our team, he'll probably face a more reasonable workload. And in that scenario, we'll probably perform better. But it's far from a given. The Kings are going to be able to trade him. And frankly, if they don't, I think they're fine with it. It really doesn't. It's 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 something that can be done at the draft. It's something that can be done in the offseason, even after the draft. It's, it's you know, I think they will want to move him at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might even want to move Primo. Like, honestly, it's, I don't think that's off the table either. But it's not, I don't think there's a, there's an urgency to it that it has to be, especially having gone this long. At this point, you know, uh, I don't think the Canadians view it as the end of the world if this were to continue till the end of the season. It's not ideal. It's not what they want. But if they have to wait till the draft, I think they'd be willing to do that too. Yeah, well, had had Jakob Dobish been stellar in Laval this year, I could I could have seen them say, you know, we could keep Allen till the remainder of his contract, and in two years from now, we'd have Dobish ready to be a backup in the NHL. Mm. I'm not. I, he's still so raw, you know. He's still. He so, is. I mean, he had a he so had a good aggressive stretch there. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, he had a good stretch when, when the when the Rocket went on that streak, you know, where they started winning a lot of games. He was he was playing well, mm-hmm. um, and I think you know, I think it was to be expected with him that it was going to take him some time to adapt to the to the pro game, and so he's. I I don't I think that is still in progress as far as his adaptation, but I mean, he's shown some progress yeah. at least. So, you know, maybe by the end of next season, he will be ready to be the backup possible yeah I just, so anyways, I just decided it, I don't know anything about the future of goaltenders like I, I don't know I keep saying this but I keep looking at Charlie Lindgren and saying okay here's here's proof I don't know a thing about goalies <laughs> and cannot project into the future at all based on what I see right now and so I no. thank Charlie Lindgren for teaching me that lesson because now I know nothing I see with my eyes has any bearing on how a goaltender will perform in the future <laughs> 
Even Montembeau, you know, it's, it's the, even the, the way that he plays now is is light yeah. years from from you know the guy that we saw in his first few starts with the. Canadians. I didn't. I did not see this coming from him either. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not for sure. So, so I'll leave the goalie uh, prognostication to people who know what they're talking about. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, I, I I think there's there's promise in Caden Primo where previously there wasn't a whole lot. I think yeah. he's he's built he's built some potential um, to be kind of a solid NHL goalie. Okay, uh, if we move on, uh, you know, apart from from Jake Allen, another big story from this weekend was uh, you like to say Team Tank. Team Tank had a big weekend, mm-hmm. and after seeing Rafael Harvey Pinar go down with an injury on Saturday, and then Jordan Harris, uh, most likely with a concussion leaving the game on Sunday, and then Caden Gooley towards the end of the game, well, actually at the very end of the game, oh. uh, getting hurt either to his ribs or to his left shoulder. It's unclear. Uh, he seemed to be uh, grabbing his ribs. So looking at it more, mm-hmm. he did seem to be grabbing his ribs on the left side, which is right. which is odd. It's an odd well, place to get injured in that situation, but yeah, it's, it's on the left it's side the of stick. his body. It might have maybe been it's stick, Marco yeah. Scandella's stick. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, he left the game too. So, how many more injuries can the Canadians handle? Because <laughs> I mean, right now it's I like mean, they're, you know. I mean, they got Alex Newhook back. Yeah. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean I, yeah, but I mean, at the four, they, 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 they needed him badly, obviously, since. Uh, Since Sean he had a good weekend. was traded, but I mean, he had a very good weekend. He did, yeah, yeah, he did, and honestly, and Armia has continued to play well uh, mm-hmm. despite the fact he did not need Sean Monahan to continue on that 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 streak yeah. of good hockey, which is very encouraging. I liked seeing Joshua Roy, uh, to, uh, to complete that line, so mm-hmm. you know it that line looked pretty good. Um. But it's more on defense, you know. It's it's especially Gouli. Would if he was to miss any time, that would put the Canadians in serious trouble because not only is Gouli playing on the right side already and compensating for the fact that Justin Barron is is in Laval right now, mm-hmm. but it's also the responsibilities, the number of minutes that he's playing. It's he seems like the one guy. That the Canadians, apart from Mac Matheson, probably the one guy that the Canadians cannot afford to lose on defense. Yeah, I would agree with that. Just because you know the mobility, the everything you know, on the penalty kill, everything about him just screams future stud defenseman. You know, I mean, it's I think, yeah. it's, but I mean, disaster. You know, yeah, I mean, listen, if he's out for an extended period of time, who knows how long he'll be out. That would be unfortunate to have t- his first two seasons in Montreal cut off more or less at around the same point. Um, and going back to junior, you know, th- this will be, I want to say, four straight seasons <laughs> where he's kind of kind of had like a, a serious injury. And so... Uh, It's it's concerning. It's unfortunate. You know, it's it's the fact that the Blues were up by five. I, I was curious if the Canadians were going to have an issue with Scandella making that hit. Not even close to being a dirty hit. 
just no. for the record, like not even nowhere even approaching that stratosphere. But after seeing all the hubbub about Ridley Gregg taking a slap shot into an empty net and how that was apparently the most insulting thing he could have possibly done um, and how Morgan Riley's reaction was in some ways justified. Uh, I was wondering, I was like, are the, cause I found that weird. Uh, I was like, Oh, I didn't know that that was against the code. Now I do, I guess I'm going to put it, you know, put it in my mental, make a mental bookmark of that. <laughs> um, I was like, is this against the code? Cause if that's against the code, then maybe, then, then clearly I don't know what the code is. Maybe this is against the code too. The game seven, two, why is the defenseman yeah. four checking in a seven, two game with a minute and change left um, and finishing his hit like that. Right. So apparently not against the code. Both Nick Suzuki and Mike Matheson agreed that there was nothing wrong with what Marco Scandella did. So that's good. I, I do have a better understanding of the code now. But then Matheson was like, well, you know, and we and then we went after him and then Kobe fought. And so we showed that we didn't like that Gooley got hurt. So maybe it was against the code. I don't know. But... Uh, man. We'll see. It's yeah. the, the code. The code is uh, <laughs> is seems probably like a much larger book than I thought it was. It's Just like even, the Bible. It's like the Bible. It's got. It's, like, it's, it's got I mean, even Ridley Gregg. I mean. Peace. <laughs> Just an aside, I mean, Ridley Gregg, I, I understand that the Leafs were offended and all that, but how is it different than than a guy we talked to, we, we started by talking about the Super Bowl, mm -hmm. you know, it's, how is it different than a guy doing a touchdown and spiking the ball? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, I, I, but it's, it's amazing, like the unanimity with which former players reacted like that's you can't do that and morgan riley had to do something maybe not that yeah. but had to do something um just not, that. just not that i mean if he'd just gone and punched him in the face even with a glove on i think every player would have stood up and applauded you know and be like yes mm -hmm. that's that's the response um but to get back to this sorry that was a that was a bit of a tangent on my part i, I apologize but um So, you know, I think it's safe to assume that Gooley, at the very least, you know, we're, we're, we're operating in a bit of a vacuum here on Monday, uh, midday Monday. Um, in terms of his injury, uh, I think it's pretty safe to assume he's not going to play on Tuesday against the Ducks. Um, mm -hmm. So what do the Canadians do here? I think it's kind of an interesting window into how they view or how they're going to view call-ups from Laval over the next, you know, over the, over this part of the season. Um, do they, because they could have, they could bring Justin Barron back up. Yeah. Who at this point has, has, has played a number of games in Laval, much like Arbor Jack I did. Um, or do they call up their AHL all-star, Logan Mayu, who I'm sure they want to see in the NHL at some point this season, get some reps This would seem to be an opportunity to do that, especially if Gooley's absence is not significant and it's not very long. Um, if they know that he's only going to miss a couple of games, maybe that provides the perfect window to call Mayu up and give them the perfect excuse to send them back down. Um, but I also know it, to some extent how, how the Canes are hoping to give Mayu have my primarily play in the AHL this season. Like they really want that for his development. So yeah. 
So I don't know. I don't know what they're. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. Well, let's not, let's not forget that Martin Saint Louis at the end of training camp said that he expected to see Mayu in the NHL at some point in the season. He said he would bet money on it. Huh? He it. said he wouldn't bet against it. Uh, no, he said he wouldn't, he, bet, said. he wouldn't bet against it. That's it. He wouldn't bet against it. Yeah, exactly. I didn't. Yeah. I, I don't mean. So yeah, he wouldn't necessarily bet on it, but he wouldn't bet against it. So, That's right. Yeah. So, but the, the, it's an interesting debate or 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 decision to make because those two guys, Baron and Mayu, they would serve at the NHL level right now. They would serve pretty much the same purpose, um, because neither. I mean, if you want to replace Gouli's tough assignments defensively, mm-hmm. neither of those guys is going to do it. But if you want, you you would you might. You might have to turn more to, you know, obviously Kovacevic, uh, maybe even more Jackye, and say, well, we're going to put somebody else than Jackye on the second power play, or or somebody yeah. else than Gouli on second power play, and there both Baron and Mayu can be your guy for that. So it's it's an interesting choice. I, I don't think that I'm not sure if if Baron has lit the world on fire in Laval, but mm-hmm. it's a good. They 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 were so concerned with making sure that they would uh, they would manage the mental aspect of it, of his game and his approach to the game. They they must calculate also what's going to be the impact of calling up Mayu instead of him. Oh. Uh, but he had some things to figure out defensively and improve his you know his positioning defensively, improve his his stick work. Uh, improve his gap. All the same things that explained why he was sent back to Laval last year. Yeah. Uh, so Jean-François Hull says that he's a much better player now. This version of Justin Barron is, is a, he's a much better player now than he was a year ago. But uh-huh. it's still the same defensive aspects to his game that he needs to improve. So are they going to leave him there longer uh, or because of the experience at the NHL level that he's got? It might not be ideal, but because of the number of minutes that he might have to cover uh, in in Gouli's absence, he might be a better choice than Mayu. That would be also, uh, you know, a decision that would uh, that well, you could justify. When you remember Martin Saint Louis talking about why he was sent down, um, he mentioned that he had lost confidence, that Baron had lost confidence, and that that started to trickle into every aspect of his game. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that he was sent back to Laval to do was to build up his confidence. So this is where it becomes interesting because if the Canes pick Mayu over him, well, what does that do to his confidence? Like if the Canes are trying to build up his confidence. Now, if he totally does not deserve to be called back up, then that's another matter. But when you're, when you're specifically trying to build a player's confidence, um, having Mayu sort of leapfrog him is is could hurt that and so it's it's really something that it's a factor here in whatever decision they make and again i think it is going to depend somewhat on what the diagnosis is on Gouli. and um if it's a longer term injury and they need more of a permanent replacement or yeah. at least a longer term replacement then i think you lean Baron and say, okay, well now, you know, we can't, 
uh, we're going to give you another shot. You, you, you have the NHL experience. You deserve it. Whereas again, if, if, if I think Gouli's going to miss two games and it's just like a temporary thing and, and, you know, give my a chance to play like in New York on Thursday, which would be cool. Um, maybe you do that. And so, but it's, it's, and there's no doubt Logan Mayu deserves a shot to play some NHL games this year. And that's, yeah. that's pretty clear. And, and, and he's, you know, you talk about Jean-François, like, I think, I think he's been pretty impressed with Mayu's progression. And, you know, I think it was somewhat telling or maybe a bit of a tell that, um, that when Rafael Harvey Pard went down, they didn't call up, you know, they didn't call up a, a veteran player. They called up Joshua Watt. You know, they didn't, they didn't bring Lucas Condota back up. They didn't call up Mitchell Stevens, even though he's more of a center. Uh, they called up Joshua Watt. They called up their young, legit prospect and, and gave him another look. So at some point, my youth's got to be wondering, when am I going to get my look? And, right. you know, so it's, it's, this might be, the, this might be that time, but there's, an, it's, it's not as simple as saying, well, we want to take a look at Mayu. Let's call him up. There's the I think the Baron situation has to has to play a part in that decision as well. One thing to uh, remember, though, when it comes to uh, Gouli, last year in March uh, there was a game in Anaheim where he was hit in the first period by uh, Maxime Contois, and yeah. he left the game and he he looked like in severe pain because of his shoulder, mm-hmm. and the just the, the optics of it. It screamed long-term injury. He's got a separate shoulder. He's going to have surgery and whatnot. Yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. it. And he ended up playing, uh, missing only two games. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I remember that. Who knows? It might be the same, uh, similar. Situation. That's what I'm saying, especially if it's the ribs, um, which he seemed to be clutching at the ribs. I mean, players play with cracked ribs all the time. <laughs> it's just like it's almost standard for an NHL player. That, you know, broken foot and cracked rib are two things that NHL players do not consider to be injuries. Those are bobos. Yeah. <laughs> that's how they see it. So if that's what happened to Gouli and, it, and you know, looking at it, because at first blush, especially when you see him skating to the bench with his arm tucked against his body and, and he's like sloops, like slouching over to his left side, you assume shoulder. But I looked at it a few times last night after the game and, and he did kind of clutch at his rib area with his right hand. So um, yeah. if it's the ribs, probably better. But anyhow, listen, we don't know anything about it. We can wait for the information to come out. But that's a good point that sometimes looks can be deceiving in terms of severity of an injury. Okay, looking forward to uh, l- looking um, ahead. There's uh, there's a game tomorrow against the Anaheim Ducks. There's Ooh. one guy who's not going to play in that game. But uh, who's going to be... It's Caden Gooley. No. <laughs> It's Trevor Zegras. But Trevor Zegras has been... I mean, I don't think that apart from Donald Trump and for some bizarre reason, Rex Murphy, I don't think that there's been anybody that's been trending on my Twitter... <laughs> For random reasons, or not so random because it's it's hockey and I understand mm-hmm. Canadians fans, but the name Zegris is trending constantly on my Twitter feed. Yes. Yeah. It's it's and nonstop. It's, it hasn't died down since the, the you know, the, the rumors started, what was it, like early December or something? Uh, well, I mean as soon as as soon as they <laughs> traded for as soon as they traded for Cutter Gauthier, they they yeah. they got 
they got really ramped up. And so, yeah. um, yeah. And we listen, we have, we're going to get to our mailbag segment. It's mailbag Monday. And we've got a lot of great questions, but a number of them, uh, a number of them were pertaining to, uh, the Zgris deal. And so we're just going to kind of cut that. We're just going to do a little cutout section on Trevor Zgris. We had, uh, Antoine Savage Duguay who talked about, you know, what, what the price would be on Zgris, uh, Alex Bisson, same kind of deal, Tom Hearn, similar question. So, so let's get into it. Is that, yeah. what is, what is a reasonable ask for Trevor Zgris? It's, it's, uh, you know, I feel he's a two times 60 point scorer at this age. Um, clearly has some, let's say he clearly has to fill out his game. No doubt he's about warts. that. He's got warts in his game. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, much like Cole Caulfield did. And I think, you know, we talked about this last week, but it's Martin St. Louis emphasis on the other areas of Cole Caulfield's game are bearing fruit. <clears throat> and if he can do that with Cole Caulfield, there's little reason to believe that he couldn't do that with Trevor Zegers, especially with how close Zegers and Caulfield are. Um, that's one part of it. But um, sometimes guys like that just can't be changed. I mean, one guy I think of in that vein is Jonathan Drua, who, good for him, is, is having a good season in, in Colorado. And, and um, honestly wish him nothing but success. But in his time in Montreal – it took him a long time to realize he needed to round out his game. And and by then it was almost too late. You know, the, the famous video sessions with Dominique Ducharme in the off season and this and that, like that was when he kind of dawned on him that, okay, I can't just be, I'm not going to get by on my skill alone. I need to do other things to ensure I have the puck on my stick. Um, so, so what, what do you pay? What are you paying for? What is the price based on? Is it based on the player with the warts or the player who will come out the other side when you address those warts? How do you price that player? And how, what, how do the ducks price that player? I'm not, I'm not so sure because he's still a pretty rare commodity. And, but the, the holes in his game are, are well known across the league. It's not yeah. a secret. It's, it's everyone sees them. Everyone knows about them. And they're frankly, I think there's some teams who just wouldn't be interested. I don't, know the Canadians to be one of those teams, but setting a price on him is, is tricky. Well, the thing is, for a team like the Anaheim Ducks, who's got a ton of cap space, who's mm -hmm. rebuilding, and they're turning, to, uh, they're turning to their young players, and they're looking to add scoring, why would they trade Trevor Zegers? Mm -hmm. and, if they, and if they do... In itself, it, it sends a red flag that limits his value because, you know, it goes against the logic of their own position to be trading that sort of guy. So there must be a reason why they do so. So I think that the, the, the simple fact of putting him on the market limits mm -hmm. his value. Uh, so, but for the, and I think that any team that's interested in his services would have to play on that in order to minimize. The, pay, the the price that you pay, but the Canadians would have to get into this having a sincere belief that they can turn him around and make a more complete player out of him. 
And when you mentioned Cole Caulfield, I think that Caulfield through through his development since last year, but especially the learning curve from this year, mm-hmm. where he's become a more complete player, the fact that it's paying off for him now and he started to score goals again and in the process has become a more rounded player, that's the best calling card that the Canadians have because he's so close to Zegras that if they yeah. were to bring Zegras on board, Caulfield could say, you know, follow what M- Marty has got to say because trust me, it's going to pay off. And it's he would be Caulfield could could be a very interesting advocate for the Canadians' intentions, in or instead of trying to convince a reluctant player to adopt his their their, their ways, and because they would have somebody there that would have Zegris's ears. So in that sense, I think that that's something that they they should look to exploit um, if they go after him. As yeah, for the pride, yeah. Go well, ahead. I mean, sorry, but the, I mean. The, the price, despite everything we're saying, the price is going to be high on this guy because it's, listen, he's got two more years under contract at five point seven five million dollars. He's still an RFA when he comes out of that contract with arbitration rights, but still, um, you have potentially, you know, you're probably going to have to sign him to a pretty big deal coming out of this deal. So you got two years to determine whether you want to do that, and and that those two years of team control for a guy who already has two 60 point seasons under his belt at age 22, um, going to come with a high price. I think it's, it's really going to be hard to get a bargain, even though it looks like, you know, I mean, I think the ducks are trying to move him because they want to address other holes. Like they want to get something at a position where, you know, they have Carlson, they have Goatee coming, Um, they have Mason McTavish. They have they have a lot of good young forwards. Um, I, I think that's – Pat Verbeek can easily just tell other GMs, like, this is – we're trading him only because we want it we, – we, we'd like to address this, whatever this is. Um, and, you know, they also have a lot of pretty good young defensemen, even though they just traded one away in Jamie Drysdale. Um, so – My question to you is, if Pat Verbeek says this can happen if you give us your first round pick, mm-hmm. what do you well, say? Well, it to depends. That? It depends where that first round pick is because to me, let's say if it's eight. the Canadians draft six, mm-hmm. it's probably a no. If they draft ten, then it becomes a yes. Huh. To me, it really because it goes back to our discussion from from uh, the, our, our latest, uh, our last Future Friday, mm-hmm. and the availability of potentially the best forward that they could find. Yeah. There's, you know, the, at 10, you're, you end up with whatever's left among those high-quality uh, prospects because it's mm-hmm. a crop of 10 or 12. Roughly, roughly 10, yeah. Yeah. So... At six, you have you're still in the position to get the guy that you want. But, yeah. Except Macklin Celebrini, but I think that there's there's a chance. So to me, it it depends. They might they might they might see Zegras super high, and I and I mean the fifth is there with Montreal to a certain extent in terms of you know adding like 
potentially elite talent, a winger that you could insert into your top top six. Um, so, yeah, to me that it's it, I I I do that deal if the Canadians draft ten six. I would really think twice. Yeah. How about you? Um. I mean, they would have to. <clears throat> I gotta tell you, like, just on gut, Trevor Zegers does not strike me as a guy that the Canadians would love. Mm-hmm. Um, just based on our brief history of trying to get to know this administration, uh, so even if their pick lands at ten, I wonder if they would do it. Now, would I do it? I think I would. Uh, you know, I think there are things that he can still be taught. There, all the issues that we talked about, um, they have a really good infrastructure in place in Montreal to address them, uh, make him a more of a complete player. And and everything you said about Caulfield being a sort of a selling point for that is is I agree with it completely. So all that considered, and all all the upside offensively that he has, and 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 the lack of pure offensive talent on the team, uh, I think I would do it. Yeah. Um, do I think, well, the Canadians, and I think I would do it even at six. I mean, honestly, like it's, it's to me between six and 10, it's, it's, yes, I understand it's, it's a wide gap in terms of value there, but to me, it's, it's a philosophical thing. Are you, are you, are you more interested in a prospect or are you more interested in a more of a finished product that someone to just needs some polishing? Um, as right. opposed to someone who is several years away. I mean, Trevor Zegers would slide right into, it would be another 2019 draft pick for this, for this team to acquire, um, which would Get make, them all. Well, which Get would them make all. what, four? <laughs> They'd have four first-round picks from 2019. Well, they then already Doc have Newhook, Newhook, Caulfield, and then it would be Zegers. So that would make it, and they got Doc. That's I, I said Doc. So Doc, Newhook, yeah. Caulfield, and then it would be Zegers. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so this would be the fourth 2019 first-rounder. Um, I would, I would, I would, I would do it and kind of bank. And we've seen the Canadians bank on their development model already numerous times. The two guys we just mentioned, Newhook and Doc. I mean, that was, those trades were predicated on the fact that they believed that under their environment with this coach, with their, with their hockey development department, um, they can make a real difference in those players. And it's working. I mean, You know, obviously, Kirby Doc hasn't been able to stay healthy, but in the, in the glimpses we've seen of him, there's been definite uh, results in terms of improvement in his game. Newhook, as we mentioned, <clears throat> missed 10 weeks without missing a beat. Marty saying Sunday how impressed he's been with how uh, well Newhook just kind of jumped onto a moving train, if you will, after 10 weeks out. Um, I think they would probably be pretty confident that they could do the same with this guy. Um, and if you are, then, and you, and, and, and he fits the age group of your core. Yeah. I think uh, I would do that. But, but when it's, when you mentioned, you know, would the, would he be the type of player for this current administration? I think that the, the gamble with Segris is not, the defensive lapses in his game that can mm-hmm. be fixed or that you can live with to up to a certain extent. I think the better, the bigger question would be in terms of character and saying, well, is he 
will they would they consider him involved enough engaged enough you know mm -hmm. uh, willing to get better uh he seems to be like this outgoing mr superstar personality how would that type of personality fit in montreal you know it would you because would, would it go to his head where he would be under the spotlight and he would get carried away and it would steer him away from the word that needs to be done in order for him to become a better player. You know, to just, uh, I think of, of PK Subban, for example, who was that sort of larger than life personality, very charismatic and whatnot. Well, he, he had his own view of what sort of player he was. And that's what, what you saw is what you got. And he was, he got the best of the player that he thought he was, but it's not necessarily, um, There were limits to how the team could steer him back to where they wanted him or how they wanted him to play. So I think that would be, there could be a similar challenge with Zegras if they were to acquire him. So to me, it's more, yeah, I think the, the character, the level compete, stuff like that is probably, probably weighs heavier in the balance than just the fact that, you know, he's not very aware. Or, or interested defensively, you know? Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't really speak. I, I agree that that would be important to them. I can't speak to Trevor Zegers' character. I don't, I don't, I don't, don't know. know to, I don't know it to be a problem. Um, so I can't, I can't say that that's that. I, I, I agree that they would put a lot of importance on that for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but they would also, I mean, no one spends more time on the phone than Ken Hughes. It's very rare you see Ken Hughes without a phone attached to his ear. So if there's anyone who would, and Jeff Gordon, I mean, you know, they have a vast network of people that they can talk to. Uh, one in their own dressing room, Michael Caulfield obviously knows him super well, but um, I'm sure that that would, that would definitely be something that they would need to check off before committing to any kind of trade. But I mean, just from a fit standpoint and from a need standpoint, I mean, if that's, If that's something available, and, and again, just before closing on this, uh, because it's, it's you know it's worth pointing out, you know Chris Johnson is the Athletics' new trade board person uh, since coming on board. His latest one dropped uh, just today, if I'm not mistaken, and um, Trevor Zegers is 33rd on the list. So, but how is that? How is that ranking determined? Is the the likeliness or it's the likelihood? It's yeah, it's the likelihood, likelihood of moving yeah. by the deadline, basically, and 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 so it's a combination of things. Is is who would be the most helpful combined with, I believe, um, what what's the likelihood of them even moving? So, and, and the Ducks, are, you know, the Ducks are in a position with Zegers where they can they can wait to get the best possible deal. They're not desperate to trade him. I mean, that's no. the. That's the thing. And so they're, they're looking for something that'll help them. And so if, and they might see this in a very similar way that I saw the Canadians first round pick, like maybe they don't even want the Canadians first round pick. Maybe they're asking for David Reinbacher. And we talked about this already, how we wouldn't trade either of Reinbacher or even Gooley um, in a deal for Zegers. I don't know. Do you still feel the same way? I think you had yeah. said a no the last time. So I feel the same way too. So ultimately might not be a fit but we'll see and 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 the canadians need to beware of falling in love with their drafted prospects i think every administration does this where you know just because they picked ryan at number five 
doesn't mean you shouldn't be open to things with him. You know that that you know, he's he is an asset. Ken Hughes hates that word about players, but that's that's what they are. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, we'll and, see. you know they'll they'll they might want to keep their the the powder dry and use that that pick for something else, package it with something else, and get another type of asset rather than Trevor Zegers. I don't think that Trevor Zegers is the only good player in this league that that could be available. So yeah, uh, yeah, especially in the off season, I think there's going to be a lot of there should be yeah. a fair amount of movement. Um, all right, let's get to the mailbag because we have uh, we have a bunch of questions that we want to get to, and we're almost an hour into the show, so we should do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, um, well, let's start with the uh, the email. So, let, quick reminder: if you want to send us your questions, you can do so by email. Uh, you can write to basuandgodin at gmail.com. You can also just uh, uh, drop a question on our uh, Twitter handle, our Twitter uh, Twitter account, which is basuandgodin, simply put. Uh, so this one uh, comes from Scott Harmon Eath, um, who says, we've talked a lot about how Marty can help young guys develop, like Slavkovsky, Caulfield, etc., and separately how the Habs will possibly try to trade for an established star presence at some point. Mm-hmm. How do you think Marty's skills would translate with a bona fide star player? Would it unlock even more potential, an experiment in fixing what isn't broken? Marty's had less, which is not to say no, uh, success with more established NHL players like uh, the power horse, Josh Anderson. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, I believe, I believe there's a lot we don't know about Martin Sandlin so far. You know, I think what we've seen so far has been has been the vast majority has been really good. Um, but I think, as we mentioned, I think in a recent episode, you know, we don't know what Martin Saint Louis is going to be like when expectations are to win more often than you lose. Um, what sort of game tactician he'll be in the playoffs, for instance, uh, uh, the adjustments to, to go into it. So this is obviously, you know, I, I think, you know, Mike Matheson is a player that he wasn't a star caliber. He wasn't a star player when he arrived in Montreal, but he was a veteran player who was being put into a star role, um, had a good thing going in Pittsburgh, um, was, um, was a significant player over there. Uh, and so he's the closest proxy we have to the scenario that, that Scott kind of lays out here. And, and, you know, older players have taken well to Marte. I mean, you, you even think of, I mean, Sean Monaghan, who just left, uh, Joel Edmondson, David Savard, like the, the, the veteran guys and the young guys all take to him the same. So, I would imagine that would mean that a legitimate star player arriving in Montreal, unless he's too big to be part of the team, like that would be the only, the only, the only reason someone I think would not get along with Martin Saint Louis is, is if they somehow feel too big to be coached by him. And really when you're being coached by a hall of fame player who <laughs> won the art Ross trophy and the Hart trophy and, you know, you have to be feeling pretty big about yourself to not want yeah. to be coached by that guy. So yeah. I don't think it'll be an issue. I really don't. 
Um, I'm more confident saying that than I am saying like how Marty will coach in the playoffs one day or how he'll, you know, those are, those are things that are unknown that he, um, that those are bridges he still needs to cross. I think this bridge, we're already seeing it kind of like, I, I think Nick Suzuki is a kind of a legitimate borderline star player in the NHL right now. And, and, and will grow into one, um, loves being coached by him. I've, I haven't spoken to anyone who's, who's been anything less than, uh, over the top praise from Martin St. Louis. Like it's one thing, like co- players aren't going to badmouth their coach publicly, but they're not going to go out of their way to say, to, to really keep praise on no, the no. guy if they don't like him. And so no, they, I don't think, I don't think it'll be an issue. No, I don't think the examples with, uh, you know, he mentions Josh Anderson. I don't think it's got to do with the age of the player or a veteran that's set in his ways or anything like that. But I think that, uh, Martin Saint Louis will will thrive and be especially good coach with the players that sh- that have a great hockey sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's true. That that's why I I lean towards you know if you talk about a bona fide you know uh, star player, I would assume that it comes with with very good hockey sense. Mm-hmm. Simply put, that's why that's what makes me think that his, since his teachings and his style of coaching fits. The guys who who operate mainly with their brain, uh, that's uh, that would that, that hints like a, a good connection, a good pairing between Saint Louis and that sort of of star studded player. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, another question here. Speaking of Anderson. and we'll put also Brendan Gallagher in that same question actually on Twitter. Uh, Tom Hearn is doing so. He says, as others have said, I would like to know what they do with Anderson and Gallagher. I don't know this team can be good with two right-wing spots taken up by them and the amount of cap space the two of them eat up together. Uh, we touched on Gallagher last episode or last in the previous episode regarding the mm-hmm. fact that we thought it was unlikely that they would, that they would uh, buy out his contract. I think that he's, he gets into the the group of players that would say their contracts are immovable in terms of trade. Uh, but Anderson, Anderson's going through a very, very tough period, a tough mm-hmm. season, but he's still rather young. There is nothing to say that next year he would not bounce back and be attractive and interesting to another team. And also, you know, though, the, um, the the, uh, the the professional scouts on every team a lot of what they do is look at situations of players that are underperforming on other teams understand yeah. the environment in which they are by whom they are coached how they are coached how the the style of play of that team has a potential as as a positive or negative impact on their performances mm-hmm. and also after that After you've analyzed that, it's how said player would fit in our system, how we play, how we're coached, et cetera, et cetera. So despite the fact that Josh Anderson has had tremendous difficulties this year, a lot of bad puck luck, a lot of, uh, a lot of missed opportunities, um, I still think that there could be a team out there that said, you know, he could – really help us so he's he's far from a lost cause and that's what i'm saying 
Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, both the, worth mentioning that their contracts run out on, at the same time. Uh, you know, they're both signed through 2627. So mm -hmm. um, the best thing, and I agree with you that the one that is most likely to not finish that contract in Montreal would be Josh Anderson, just because of the sheer number of conversations I've had with scouts, some of which, some of whom look at him and see a guy with, with, with a lower hockey IQ who doesn't process the game very well, whereas others see him as a big body who can skate like the wind and can be very physical and can score goals, even though this season he hasn't done that. So um, the idea of Josh Anderson is still kind of fresh in a lot of scouts' minds. I would imagine a lot of general managers' minds. And the best thing that he could probably do uh, to improve his value on the trade market would be for the Canadians to make the playoffs. Yeah. If it's next year, then I don't think it's likely that they make the playoffs next year. In fact, it's highly unlikely that they make the playoffs next year. But if they did somehow make a big jump, sneak into the playoffs, and, and just remind general managers of what Josh Anderson looks like in the playoffs, I think that offseason you would be able to move that guy. Because mm -hmm. playoff Josh Anderson is is something. He's able to impact a series without ever even touching the puck. Like honestly, like he, his forechecking ability, his, his just the constant, constant strain of going back for pucks, knowing this guy's coming after you, um, has a real impact. And so, um, you know, I mean, I guess the, the same size, could be said of Gallagher, but speed, the size and speed combo. Is it remains very attractive for it's teams. made for playoff yeah. hockey. It's made for playoff yeah. hockey. And yeah. so if the Canadians can get him into some playoff games, I think they'd have a much easier time trading him than they do than they would right now. I mean, I, right now his value's never been lower, obviously, because of the season he's had. But I agree with what you said, where scouts do look for you know, they're looking for the uh, uh they're looking to game the market, you know, they're looking for the that that's sort of the the exception or, or, or that player who's undervalued based on counting stats and 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 looking at tools and putting those tools into a certain lineup. And so, you know, it's I think there's a chance that they move in. Yes, I agree. But not not anytime soon. Um let's go back to the Twitter machine for another one. And this one um from Charles. Um wrong FPS on X. Um would Montreal have any interest in offering someone like Jarvis or Natchez or Lundell? Would they have more chances of acquiring someone in trade? And what is the value of Capocaco? So a lot of people say late first is too much for him. Obviously, hasn't lived up to his potential. But he already has a 40-point season under his belt and only 22. And with the info of the owner, Tom Dolan, the Rangers owner, wanting to participate in the sphere for the draft, I think they would welcome another first-rounder so they could trade one of them. Let's say you to that. Okay, well, there's there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, <laughs> well, first, regarding the uh, regarding the offer sheet, the guys that you mentioned there, uh, Jarvis, Neches, um, those guys are th their contracts are up at the end of this current season, mm -hmm. uh, and the the you can only offer sheet a guy after the draft. So basically, the picks, oh, July July first. It's uh. No, actually, it's after it's after you've um, after the QOs have been the qualifying offers have been put. 
Start July first. If I'm not mistaken. Well, there's a there's a, pretty there's sure a few days like the the first Monday after the draft or something like that. But anyway, it's pretty much we can say July first, and in practicality, it doesn't mm -hmm. doesn't change much to my point. Um, but the Canadians would look at using their 2025 draft picks in order to um, to, to make an offer sheet. I think it's worth it's really worth looking at. Uh, I think it's an avenue where the Canadians could be aggressive. It's ironic that you would mention the Carolina Hurricanes, but personally, I mean, Seth Jarvis is, is, is a player that I absolutely love. Uh, I know that he might have been, it, had he been available at, uh, when, when the Canadians drafted Caden Gooley, he's the one guy probably that would have, that Trevor Timmons would have drafted instead of Gooley. And, uh, for, for good reason, I think he's, he's a very talented player. He would be a great add uh through the offer sheet market but not sure if if the canadians want to go that route especially uh with a uh a revengeful <laughs> brass in carolina yes um yeah so but I, i the canadians have to get creative because if they if they don't find anything that enables them to acquire a high-end talent through the trade market in the next year or two Some, something will have to give, and uh, it they might need that. And the fact that they'll have a lot of flexibility money-wise is um, is is an opportunity for them to to try the force uh, to try uh, other teams' hands, uh, force uh, other teams' hands, and and try their uh, try their way into a market like that. Uh, Lundell, I. I He's 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 good. He's a good player, and NHS is a good player. But to me, in the among the three that you've named, uh, Seth Jarvis would definitely be my target. Yeah, and the, the fourth guy that he named, Capocacco, is the guy that I would actually be more inclined to to look at. Um, yeah, you know, obviously. Yeah, uh, but you don't need to offer a sheet. Capocacco. No, well, no, but he's no, of course not. And he's talking about no. he's talking about trading the Jets' first round pick potentially. Yeah. for Capocacco because yeah. the Canadians' next pick is the Avalanche's second round pick, which probably won't get it done. And so I think, you know, with the notion that I think a lot of people seem to think that this draft drops off at around 20, um, which is why the Jets were so quick to trade their first, why the Canucks were so quick to trade their first. I mean, it just, you know, there is, I guess, a, a notion that you're, you're, you're drafting second round talent. With those picks, um, if the Rangers, I mean, I think Kako also, you know, as we mentioned earlier with Zegras, you know, kind of just fits a timeline, fits a grouping. Um, he's obviously Jeff Gordon drafted him as general manager. That goes without saying, but he's also 22 years old. He's also from the 2019 draft. It's um, they would then have the second and third picks from the 2019 draft, which would be pretty wild um and and you know i mean listen it's it's are there are there other underlying issues i mean it's he's right he's 40 point season was last season he had 18 goals and 22 assists he played all 82 games this year obviously has been a disaster for him what what's happening there um if 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 all it took was the jets first round pick to get him i would take that swing And, and see, like for the exact same reasons that we all mentioned, the whole Zegers conversation, this is a guy that 
was a consensus number two pick. Like I think Jeff Gordon and 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 Bob Ruff, they get some heat over Kako not panning out, but I don't think there's a single team in the league that wouldn't have taken him second overall no. in that draft. Um, mm. So sometimes those picks just don't work out. You know, I mean, it's just like it's you know he was. There were some talk, not a lot, but some people were even saying, "Oh, he might be better than Jack Hughes." It's not. It wasn't a, a huge majority of people, it, or a majority no. at all. But there were, I did definitely see that being floated. Like he might be better than Jack Hughes. He might be worth going with the number one pick. So anyhow, he clearly isn't. I'm not making that argument now. But if all it cost you was a late first to to take a chance on him, I would do that. And that would be, to me, more in line with the way the Canadians have gone about trying to add significant talent would be that way. Yeah. But you don't want it. You don't want Gorton and Barbaroff acquire him just to prove the point that they were right, you know, and giving it a Well, no, that's not why they would just, be approving. I mean, it, it would be, a, it'd be getting a talent like that's. Yeah. But it's also a talent who's, who's been in the league for a few years now and you want, you know, you're still waiting for him to really uh, blossom, but a late first round pick. It's uh, to me, it's, uh, it's definitely, it's worth a try. Yeah, for sure. And the, the story with uh, James Dolan and, and the Sphere, it, it came out a few days ago. I think it was uh, Darren Dreger who mentioned that. So the story is that the Dolan has been asking the Rangers to not trade their first-round pick mm-hmm. because he's, uh, he's, he's a part owner of the Sphere in Vegas where the draft is going to be held, and he wants to make sure that the Rangers are going to participate and will be active – players in the draft for that event which sounds super silly yeah but <laughs> it sounds right up james dolan's alley though that that sounds like a thing that james dolan would 100 do yeah but yeah. but that's two different things though because <laughs> if you want to improve your hockey team by trading an asset for players so you get stronger and you get a better team at the at the trade deadline that's one thing but you can also The Rangers could try to do that and say well, we're we're going to recoup that pick later, and and then they you, they they could they could fetch that that first rounder from Montreal for Kako, uh, yeah. but it's on the timeline. I don't see the Canadians getting Kako before the trade deadline. So they, those are two different in terms of timeline. It's two different instances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where, a trade that could happen at the, easily happen at the draft. Yeah, yeah. Just just for the record, Kapokaku is 37th on Chris's trade board. So mm. 33 is Zegris. 37 is I – th- I just think it's hilarious that we've discussed them acquiring two players who were taken in the 2019 draft. I think it's <laughs> – I think yeah. it's just so funny. If they could just basically build their whole team off guys who were drafted in the 2019, um, that would be – that would be – that would make me very happy. Hey, go get um, Peyton Krebs while you're at it. Yeah, why not? Um, okay, we got time for one more, I think. You want to pick it? Okay. Um, yeah, okay. So how about Amelia Pond, uh, who's saying, do you have early picks for the Jacques Beauchamp Award? Huh, Jacques Beauchamp Award, yeah. She, she would guess Jake Evans, but... Um, 
I think it'd be David yeah. Savard. Yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah, I think he's he's the clubhouse leader right now, even though he missed some time. Uh, of course, you know, if he winds up getting traded, then then all bets are off. But there aren't really any other can. I mean, I guess Jake Evans. Well, what I mean, I guess Jake Evans, Kovacevic, Kovacevic, maybe. That's, I mean, but aside from Saval, we both agree that Saval is the leader. But if let's say he got traded at the deadline, yeah, who uh, who would be who would be in line to 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 take that spot? <laughs> wow, stuff. There's uh, not a lot. Of, there's not a lot of candidates. No, no. I mean, it, Evans fits in that category, but it's. At that point, why why do you give an award for a guy because he fits in that category? You know, yeah. I'm not sure yeah, that yeah. Evans is especially deserving for that role as an unsung hero. No, I mean he would it would be by default. It would just be like, oh, you're exactly. there, and you haven't really, you haven't really won it. You you haven't really been named three star a third, you know, in the three stars very often. So, so here Heck, have, I would so here I would put Jaden Strubel. If, he, if Struble yeah. was to finish the season in Montreal yeah, that's and, and Sava was traded and Struble was to get even more opportunities to to uh, prove himself, and by then he would have, what, 50-something 50, 50 games behind his belt, that would probably be enough to yeah, be worth uh, consideration. Absolutely. Yeah. And good on James Struble for coming out to talk after the game he had on Sunday. Uh, I thought that was a, a real mature thing and, and really face the music. Um, Good on him. So yeah, yeah, that's a good pick. I think that's. Uh, but yeah, we both agree, David Savard. It's, this is David Savard's award to lose. Um, yeah, and uh, would be uh, only injury or a trade would probably prevent him from winning it at this point. Okay. Um, yeah, I think we can uh, wrap this up. There's uh, there. Thank you for sending us your questions. There's a lot of good ones that mm-hmm. I mean I, I wish we could tackle, but uh, it's just uh, time is running out. But uh, Try to keep a folder of some evergreen questions that are relevant. Uh, there's some questions about uh, the assistant, the assistant coaches that are interesting, but maybe we can discuss that later. Uh, so for now, Arpin, uh, I wish you a good rest of the day. Uh, yeah. Thanks to uh, all of you guys to uh, listen to us until the end. Uh, don't forget to. Um, give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen to us. You can also. Drop a comment. It's always appreciated. And, uh, you know, and uh, also take a peek at uh, what the SDPN uh, shows have got to offer. It's, uh, it's a great network. It's got, it, there, there's a lot of fun shows there. So uh, you mentioned uh, Chris Johnson. Well, there you go. Chris Johnson. Uh, yeah. We, there's a lot of cross promotion going on today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And obviously, uh, yeah, Steve Dangle podcast, which I think is up to. They're actually going to produce more episodes, which is pretty wild. So check that out. Um, yeah, and you can subscribe to SDPN on YouTube in order to get uh, our show as, in addition to all the other shows that, that they produce over there. So thanks very much. We will talk to you on Friday after the Canadians face the Ducks and the Rangers. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, we will talk to you then. Uh, enjoy your week.